how can we envision the sweeping changes to entire landscapes? Ownership of commons, the air, soils, water, biological diversity, cultural back to the diversity is as critical as biological diversity. In this epic struggle to preserve a habitable that planet, is the only thing which is sustained. The place that you love is now under siege. Deregulated commerce is becoming a threat to the life on this planet. These are system problems. Our humanity is We shouldn't state. ask whether we can survive These are existential questions not. as much as they are systemic questions. Action informed by knowledge of get down place. To work. You're listening to the Schumacher Lectures, a channel hosted by the Schumacher Center for a New Economics. The Schumacher Lectures feature speakers who challenge entrenched ways of thinking while exploring how to build a new economy that serves both people and the planet. Any public program to preserve land or produce food is hopeless if it does not tend to right the balance between numbers of people and acres of land and to encourage long-term stable connections between families and small farms. Charles Turner delivered his speech, What About Us, the Earth's People, in October 2007. Let's have a look at it. Uh, I'm really honored to uh, be with you this afternoon. The, um, it's always a pleasure to come back to the Berkshires. Uh, the uh, Berkshires have a, a particularly, uh, strangely uh, a meaningful part of my life. Um, I, uh, I came out to uh, New England in uh, the late 50s and came from a valley, you know, born in Cincinnati, Ohio, a uh, town right over across the Ohio River from Kentucky, and uh, and in a uh, geographically a, uh, a valley. And so, uh, coming to school in New England was a an exciting uh, ex- experience. But after the uh, first year, I was looking around for places to work and had uh, worked on a riverboat for a couple of years as a uh, lot of things, deckhand waiter and saw an advertisement for a uh, job at the Music Inn over in uh, Lenox, Massachusetts. So I, I spent the, uh, my, ninth, my 19th year, um, or the summer of my 19th year, uh, over in, uh, in Lenox uh, at Music Inn, and it was just a thrilling experience, uh, both in terms of interactions with the Berkshires and just the whole environment um, around music and dance and drama, et cetera. <clears throat> um, Came back to the Berkshires in the 80s to do some, when I was at ICA, to do some work with Susan uh, and Bob Swan, um, Susan Witt and Bob Swan, uh, around the uh, a company that they were, um, had started with uh, young workers who were looking at forming a worker cooperative. And so we uh, came out and, uh, and worked uh, with them. And the, the other involvement is that uh, three of my, my heroes, um, have connections to this area. There's a sign uh, that I haven't gone to see, actually uh, might be gone, but a number of years ago I saw a sign on a uh, road uh, just outside of South, South Egremont that um, said the last, the last battle of the Revolutionary War was fought here. And the date was um, 1785. Interesting. <laughs> it memorialized Shays Rebellion. Daniel Shea's rebellion. Uh, if you don't, if you don't know about Daniel, Colonel Daniel Shea, and what he and his fellow farmers, 
why he and his fellow farmers were uh, marching uh, on Boston from um, their countryside to which they had returned after the uh, Revolutionary War. Really read about it. I think it speaks to um, the contradictions that we're struggling with uh, today. Also, uh, Du Bois <laughs> you know, was just born uh, just, just down the road. Uh, also a, a pivotal figure in uh, the development of uh, kind of human understanding in this country. And Rudolf Steiner, you know, has, uh, has a school, you know, in both in here and over in, in New York. And, and Rudolf's uh, work at uh, helping us understand the evolution of human consciousness and the nature of the human being, I think, is just um, tremendously important and something that I'm going to touch on at the end of my presentation because I think uh, his writings and reflections uh, not just on terms of how to set up ed educational institutions, but on the nature of human beings, on the nature of the universe, on our relationship as human beings uh, to it, certainly uh, have a tremendous relevance to the environmental movement, but it adds a piece because it, uh, Rudolph's work uh, really helps, helps us understand that human beings are the crown of creation and part of that natural environment and have to be loved and respected uh, as part of that and, uh, so I think very relevant to what we're struggling with today. I'm going to, uh, I have uh, five objectives for myself today. One is to uh, try to keep you all awake. It was a be beautiful lunch, and uh, <laughs> as happens after beautiful lunches, people can get uh, kind of relaxed. Uh, and sometimes I speak in a mo monotone, sonorous voice, and so uh, I'll, ma I'll make, uh, make a deal with you. I'll try to stay awake and talk in a lively, upbeat manner. I just hope you would <laughs> also try to do that. The second objective is to give you a little uh, sense of um, what I've been doing uh, over my life and, and why. Uh, touch on it briefly because it would put what I'm going to say in the context of my own life experience. Third objective is to um, share with you the reflections of an elected official who is working in a situation where government at the local, where uh, his perspective is that government at the local, state, and national level um, are not particularly concerned with um, the creation of a positive quality of life for the people that I represent are, from my perspective, the majority of people in the country. And as an elected official, that's quite a complex situation if you're asking people to support, uh, to support you in a variety of ways in order to become part of a government that you feel really doesn't function. And the question is, uh, why should you, should you be there? And if so, uh, what, are, what are you doing? And uh, the fourth objective is to share how, I've, how I'm trying to uh, bridge what I see as that contradiction. And then finally, want to uh, touch on uh, my view of, of how the local issues and the local struggle uh, that we're going through in Boston now relate to the, the question of creating a, as a friend of mine calls it, a sane society on a global basis and how that relates to uh, the issues we've been talking about this morning and the whole question of cr creating on the earth a respect for the environment, which has to include human beings. The, um, in, terms, in terms of my own own background, and I'm going to be looking at my watch every once in a while because I, you know, I've, as you can see, I'm trying to touch a number of issues, but um, I'm going to try to do it do it very quickly, and so I won't 
do justice to all of the areas I'm going to touch on, but I just want to, to begin to raise some thoughts and to uh, stimulate you to think about um, my perspective and how that relates to, to what you see. So I'm, I'm going to be going over a number of issues quickly, but uh, perhaps a question and answer time would give us time to go into more depth. First, uh, I was born into a, um, into a very privileged position. Uh, as an African-American, I was born into a family that didn't have, have great wealth. We were comfortable and never um, was, was hungry from the standpoint of not having food or a sense of really being um, deprived uh, in a material sense. However, uh, what we did have was status in terms of educational achievements and the fact that we had uh, members of the family over a number of generations had uh, really proven themselves very capable in the educational field. The, what, what the family um, tried to instill in my brother and I was that, um, that while, you know, while we uh, had of a certain status, certain notoriety. My, uh, my brother was a, was a ge- certifiable genius, gra- youngest graduate of um, the uh, University of Cincinnati. Um, the uh, person he was, uh, uh, his graduation happened at 13, and uh, until, on, up until that point, my mother, <laughs> who graduated from the university at 15, was the, uh, the youngest uh, graduate. So, you know, we were a family that had really been able to demonstrate, um, much to the chagrin, I think, of <laughs> the Cincinnati population, our, our ability. But what, what was constantly emphasized was the fact that we needed to understand that um, while our accomplishments, and particularly my brother's accomplishments, were uh, phenomenal, that our accomplishments individually and as a family were built on, a, on, on centuries of struggle of African-American people who had laid a foundation, sacrificed their lives, sacrificed uh, many uh, aspects of their, their being to create a foundation where we would be able to, to move forward. And so they, they did that to emphasize the reality that while we um, had re- were receiving much, we had to understand that we had a responsibility to give back that uh, we were in a situation where we were the descendants of a captive people and that uh, we were still uh, outside the framework of democracy. Uh, this is the you know, 40s and the 50s uh, in the way that it was talked about rhetorically and that we have a responsibility not just to look at our own uh, lives but to, uh, in fact, uh, advance the, uh, the cause of, uh, of our people, which I initially defined in terms of African-Americans. And then as I grew in experience and understanding and in struggle, began to realize that uh, the struggle really was about uh, human beings and African-Americans being part, one part of the human family that was really being beset by a number of um, uh, very serious dilemmas and obstacles. <clears throat> the, this this uh, appreciation led, led me uh, to become an activist after I uh, graduated from, from college. And I'm not going to go through that because uh, I think there are a lot of um, interesting aspects of it, but I really want to uh, focus on kind of where we are now. But from the time I graduated from school up until uh, 1999, I uh, did a number of uh, 
different kinds of, of organizing work. I'm a Gemini, you know, so being a, that is, I was born in June, and uh, they say, those of you who uh, look at the question of the relationship of stars to our, our lives uh, uh, probably recognize that Geminis are known to have inquiring minds and always be seeking kind of new challenges and thoughts, and so um, throughout my life, Throughout my life, I really uh, had the, um, the benefit of being able to focus my time and energy on the questions of how to liberate uh, my people, how to um, uh, create situations as an organizer that would allow us to uh, fuse our energies for the creation of new realities that would uh, bring um, fulfillment uh, to those of us who are involved in it, as well as lay the foundation for uh, fulfillment by future, uh, future generations. But by 1999, time when I was, uh, I think, 59 years old, um, strange situation in Boston, situation where we had a mayor who was uh, sharing resources uh, in ways with the black Latino community that uh, other mayors hadn't done as uh, focused and conscious a way, but at the same time making it clear that that meant that people had to go along with uh, his perspective, with his program, and that uh, and a reluctance to do that would, in fact, um, bring a withdrawal of the resources. And so when my, my city council decided not to run, I, um, my wife and I talked about it and felt that there was an opportunity to really energize organizing, to see the extent to which we could use a uh, city council office as a mechanism to encourage people to stand up, recognize what uh, the problems were, and organize around confronting, uh, confronting the issues that were, uh, were of concern. We won, even though we ran against the, uh, a person who was uh, represented, who worked for the mayor, and so was, <laughs> I've got some in my pocket, but thank you. Um, thank you, Terry. <laughs> um, the, ran against the, the mayor's, um, in a sense, the mayor's candidate, and, and won. And during the, uh, the last eight years, have really uh, tried to use the office as a, uh, as a mechanism for encouraging people to step forward, creating opportunities for them to bring issues before the city council, and working on pieces of legislation that could, uh, in fact, bring relief and benefit. And uh, we're, we were, were able to pass in Boston uh, the most significant uh, local legislation around protecting the rights of those who are incarcerated to um, a fair, uh, fair treatment in the, in the workplace. So, you know, I think we've, uh, we've accomplished uh, uh, significant number of things, and yet this year when I uh, was considering uh, how to organize a campaign for uh, city council for another two-year term on the city council, I, um, I had to wonder, had to wonder whether it really was the most appropriate use of my time. Why? Because as a city councilor, um, I represent a particular district. It's a district that's 75% uh, black and Latino, um, about 10% uh, 10, 10 Cape Verdean around the DSNI area, Dudley Street Neighborhood Initiative area particularly, uh, and about um, 10 to 15% uh, percent white. It's a poor area. 
know, the whites who are there uh, have an income level that's uh, significantly higher than the, the majority of the people of color who are there. Probably the median income, in, the median income for uh, people of color in the district is about, uh, for a family of four, is about $25,000 uh, a year. Uh, family of four in Boston is about 35000 in the uh, region. Uh, family of four, uh, the median income is about uh, 80000 So obviously we're at the um, bottom of the uh, economic uh, spectrum. We, um, we have a situation where uh, the police department acknowledges that they do not have the capability of stop debt uh, the forces, the federal forces and the state forces uh, that deal with the question of drugs coming in the city are not able to stop the flow of drugs. And so they've said at public hearings that they are as frustrated as we are as elected officials to um, understand that as soon as they arrest people, as soon as they arrest people, there's another group of people uh, going to jail. In uh, 1973, just to go back to the issue that Majora talked on very briefly, um, the, uh, in 1973, there were 500,000 people in jail of all races, federal prisons, state prisons, county jails, uh, local jails, 500,000, 1973, the year that the drug laws were passed. And uh, today, there are 2 million, 2 million people in jail in this country. A million of them are African-American, about 500,000 Latino and uh, Asian and about 500,000 uh, whites. Uh, I think there's a causal connection between the, the drug, uh, drug policy and the people, uh, number of people in, in jail, but uh, that's a much longer uh, issue to talk about. But the point I was trying to make was that in a community that is very poor and where today there are 16,000 across the city of Boston, there's 16,000 uh, young people between the ages of 16 and 24 who are out of school and out of work. 16,000. That's a lot of you. That's a, a large number of unemployed. The estimates are that, um, particularly in my, in my district, the other district of color, that some 50%, 50% of the young people, people in their late teens, early 20s, are... Um, unemployed. Last year, 2,000 young people dropped out of school. That's been matched by an average of about 1,500 uh, a year dropping out over the last uh, four to six years. That's why the number is at 16,000. There aren't entry-level jobs because the uh, reality is that uh, their aunts and uncles, fathers and mothers are taking the jobs uh, that um, normally they would be taking as uh, uh, some graduates of high schools, people who are in their late teens, early 20s. Uh, so we have a situation where uh, we don't have entry-level jobs, even for a large number of those who are graduating for, from high school, uh, and where we have a large number of thousands and thousands of young people, the majority of whom are, are young people of color, wandering the streets, and obviously that's going to create, um, create difficulty. The uh, city council refused to, uh, to support an initiative that uh, the four councils of color proposed, and that is that we, uh, we hire a major, we do a major hiring of street workers, workers who could go out into the community and begin to 
uh, work with the young people and try to help them uh, reestablish a focus and a direction for their, um, for their lives. Um, the, the mayor and the administration decided not to go along with it. They increased the uh, police force, so the police force is now uh, up to a level of 2,000 uh, plus, um, while the number of street workers that we have in Boston essentially about 35. So we got 35, we got 16,000 young people out of school and out of work between the ages of 16 and uh, 24, and we have 35 street workers and 2,000 police. <laughs> you know, that despite the rhetoric about the, um, uh, the fact that uh, the problem is not going to be solved by police uh, action, as city officials say, when you look at how the monies are invested, uh, definitely goes in that, that direction. I, you know, I start there because I think it's, it's important as we look at the question of creating jobs and, and moving, um, moving our society forward, uh, developing a life approach that links us together as, uh, as, peop as all people, people of color and whites, and has uh, a focus on the issues of, um, of jobs and green jobs and the transformation of the economy that we appreciate, we appreciate the dilemma that we face city by city. And I would think that it's also there in the rural areas and some in the factory towns where the factories have moved away and people are still, still struggling. The, the question of what, what um, whether I should run for office and uh, how to focus a fifth time, and how the focus of that that run uh, is is dealt with in a paper that you have inside your programs, if you still have it. Um, if those of you who still have your programs, if you could reach inside, there is a page uh, that has on one side uh, the uh, Councillor Turner's seven-point plan for, uh, as we uh, uh, call it, economic re resurrection, and on the other other uh, side a what we're calling a peace and prosperity pledge. When the, when the, the, the question, when I was confronting the question of whether I should run for office, um, the, the thought came that throughout my life, my kind of defining um, philosophy has been that we as human beings have um, a untapped, in many ways, untapped uh, reservoir of creative potential. And that, that as an organizer throughout my life, my, my job was to help people, uh, one, develop a joint perspective of what they wanted to do together and then help them unleash, unleash their powers of creativity. And so in, in thinking about the dilemma that I was facing as an elected official within the framework of a governmental system that had no commitment, has no commitment to really dealing with the nature of the problems that are being faced in my district or in uh, districts that are predominantly white um, in terms of the issues of um, working class and underclass uh, people, that what was important for me as an elected official would be to uh, go back to my roots and to say to those I was representing and those I've worked with over the last 40 years that we have to understand 
that we've come too far as a people to allow the disinterest of government to, in fact, be the framework uh, for almost a self-inflicted genocide. Strong words, strong words, but when you look at the number of deaths, we have 75, about 75 deaths a year in a city of 500,000. Uh, somebody was talking the other day at a, uh, at a meeting in Boston about the fact that, well, at least we don't have uh, the 385 uh, homicides uh, that they have in Philadelphia. I pointed out that Philadelphia has about 3 million people, which means that our 75 at a population of 500,000 is essentially the same as their 385. So we, you know, we're faced with a situation where um, we're, killing our, our, we're killing each other and our young children are, are killing each other. It's a, it's a logical, you know, when, when you think about it, 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 it's not a logical response, but it's kind of response that you would, uh, you would find in situations like Majora mentioned, you know, that if, if someone doesn't feel anybody cares about them, that they're alone, that they are facing obstacles, that they, um, that they can't deal with, then, then obviously it's hard for them to care about others. They're, it's hard for them. They can't value the quality of their life, then they can't value the quality of uh, the lives of their neighbors. And so it, it just seemed that it was essential to infuse into the politics of our district an understanding that we couldn't you know, sit around and wait for government to uh, come to its senses. As I pointed out, um, and have pointed out many times, if, if black people had waited in the South, had waited on government to change the segregation, it'd still be segregated, right? Why would, why would a Dixocrat control Congress uh, eliminate legally segregation uh, if it wasn't for the fact that people stood up and changed things? And so essentially, I'm, I'm saying to people in my district that, um, you know, that we, we shouldn't be paralyzed by the fact that the people that the people who have power and control both in institutions and government are not focusing on the needs of people. Uh, we should understand that we have the capabilities. We have the capabilities of standing up and doing something for ourselves. And so I've developed uh, what we call a seven-point plan. The first part of the plan we've been working on for two years, uh, actually going into the third year. And that is the organizing of the unemployed. You know, what, what's always been phenomenal uh, to me is that as organizers, we organize people around everything. Health care, education, housing. Name a problem and, and there's a group being organized around that problem, which I believe in. But we don't organize the unemployed. Isn't that phenomenal? We don't organize the unemployed. Even the unions, <laughs> even the labor movement doesn't, or they don't organize the unemployed. They organize the employed, right? <sighs> Big problem. Big problem. You know, and so we began to organize the unemployed. People didn't know, have, couldn't really say what was going to happen, but the reality is that we, um, we were able to uh, do outreach to a number of unemployed workers, and that outreach resulted in there being the formation of an organizing group two years ago. And this spring, uh, a thousand people from our were led from our community to the state house, demanding change around 
uh, the laws relating to um, those who have criminal uh, backgrounds, which we find very discriminatory and very uh, oppressive. So we, we were able to create an organization where those who are unemployed are beginning to stand up, but we, we recognize that, that that's not enough. We have to move to the next stages of creating uh, vehicles, uh, economic vehicles, that uh, the unemployed can begin to uh, create and develop. Uh, we're starting a temp firm, temp firm that will be controlled by the organization of unemployed, the Boston Workers Alliance. Why? Because we need a mechanism through which we can place our workers, many of whom haven't had job, job experiences. And um, so we, we said, let's, let's create a mechanism. And ICA uh, that has done this in two or three other cities is helping us with that. We've been exploring the development of worker cooperatives, businesses that unemployed workers can create for themselves. Why? Because as particularly as people of African-American descent, we have to understand that the major contradiction in our relationship to this country over the last 400 years has been the question of labor. The question of labor, the fact that our labor was stolen from us for 200 years and now um, is in a situation where um, uh, jobs are being shipped overseas and we, we are truly seen as a marginal population. You know, the, the work that Majara and Van and others are doing is, is tremendously important to look at how we can become part of the, the, the green job movement and get our share of those jobs. But we also have to, have to, we can't lose sight of the reality that the relationship between not only black workers and Latino workers, but white workers has been one where the policies of the country have never focused on building an economy that works for all the people. That isn't what, it, what it's, uh, it's not, never what's been designed to do. A friend of mine calls America an, an, <clears throat> um, an anachronism, anachronism of economic reasoning more injurious than cancer and AIDS. Calls America an anachronism of economic reasoning and economic reasoning more injurious than cancer and AIDS. Why is it more injurious than cancer and AIDS? Because if we have a human society where we're now recognizing our responsibility to be stewards of the earth and not recognizing our responsibility to each other, that's cancerous. You know, cancer is an organism that eats itself up, an organism that eats itself up. Let me, let me not go into that, but let me, let me just point out that uh, if we're going to deal with that kind of disease within the human body politic, that we have to start with those who are most affected by it, the unemployed. Uh, the, the second item on the... Um, on the, uh, the, the list of seven uh, activities is the um, a census count. And that is because we're, we're lied to by the government uh, every day about unemployment rates. They, you will hear at least probably once a week, unemployment is 4.55%, maybe 6%. That's counting the people who are still looking for work six, within six months after their unemployment. After the six months, you don't get counted. 
You heard Majora say that 25% of the people in her community were unemployed. But I bet if you looked at the New York, the statistics in New York from the state and the federal government, they'll say 5 6%, probably 4%. Why? Because they don't count us. <laughs> they don't count the unemployed. Why don't they count the unemployed? Because from the reasoning of those who are running the system, unemployment employed aren't really part of our concern. Otherwise, we wouldn't be shipping jobs over to other countries if we were really concerned about unemployment, would we? So we, we, need, we need to take responsibility for really beginning to understand the nature of the problem. If you're in denial about a problem, you can never deal with it effectively. If government doesn't tell us how many people are really unemployed, how do we really begin to understand the need to construct an economy that works for all? The third uh, aspect uh, that we talk about is a mentorship program. We've got 16,000 children. Uh, wandering the streets of Boston, two th uh, probably 75% of whom are of color. School department doesn't have any answer. The mayor doesn't have any answer. So what basically what we're saying is we have to uh, reach out to those children. We have to organize ourselves. We have uh, about four organizations in the community who have come together, uh, Latino, Black, uh, Cape Verdean, and have made a commitment to each other to begin to work together to uh, recruit volunteers to go into the streets of, of our communities and begin to create relationships with our young people. Green jobs are important, but if you have children who feel that nobody cares, nobody's listening, nobody uh, is concerned about what's happening to them, how do we get them to realize the, res the opportunities that are there? We have to form relationships with our children. And the reality is that while I'm focused on the question of, people, of uh, children of color, there are a lot of white children who are in, in that same situation. Uh, it's interesting that uh, the city doesn't talk very much about the drug statistics because 145 um, people killed themselves for drug overdoses about three years ago. Uh, Ninety of those were uh, white um, and uh, the majority teens, and interestingly enough, in those communities that have been most gentrified, most gentrified, one of the effects of gentrification, if there isn't a policy of development for all people, is that the children begin to see themselves as worthless. That is, if people are coming in and building new homes and living in fancy houses and bringing fancy cars in and they, they see themselves stuck, then, then there's going to be a reaction. And so white children in Boston are responding to that uh, in killing ways, but they're killing themselves rather than each other. The, um, there, there are four other items on the, um, on the sheet. One, one deals with the organizing of a uh, relationship with the construction trades industry. We're going to have probably uh, hundreds of millions of dollars of construction in our community over these next 10 years. Why? Because of all the abandonment of property, the knocking down of buildings have left vast spaces, and downtown is now developed, and so they're, they're coming for land in the community. Tremendous opportunity, tremendous opportunity for careers in construction, for jobs that pay well. But the historical experience is that the unions maintain that 
for themselves and primarily for fight white workers. And so we're saying that if we're going to, in fact, gain the benefit, then we have to organize ourselves uh, to make sure we get a fair share of that work that's going to be done in our community. We have to organize relationships with, uh, with NSTAR, with uh, Keyspan, with the, the other utilities and the other large companies to, to go back to the whole question of the integration of the workers from our community into the job force. Rutgers University did a study in 1999 that said that uh, Pennsylvania and Massachusetts and Boston and Philadelphia, uh, in fact, had the worst uh, records of discrimination in the job place when uh, examining federal contracts. So the, the reality is that as we look at um, the problems we're facing in Boston, particularly our youth, we're not just facing uh, the problems of strategies that are shipping jobs overseas or changes in the industry, but we're also looking at the issue of the attitudes, the attitudes of people uh, who are in these corporations that uh, historically have um, focused on bringing whites into uh, the workplace uh, before people of color, regardless of the uh, similarities of, of background. Small business development, we talk about it a uh, tremendous amount um, in the Schumacher uh, Society. We, uh, the Berkshire program is, is focused on the whole question of how do you develop a local business economy so that you can have jobs that are local that can be sustained over time. And so obviously any strategy for economic development has to focus on uh, the question of bus business development, small business development. And finally, finally, um, the last item is what we call the Peace and Prosperity Pledge. And we, we put that there because while we need to, uh, as a community, begin to look at what we can do collectively, we also, we also have to, to look at the fact that you can't live in an environment for centuries that have said to you and your ancestors that you're not worth anything and not have that affect you, right? So if, as, as we look at the question of the regeneration, the regeneration of humanity within my district, right? Because we talk about regeneration of the earth and the protection of the environment. I have to look at the regen regeneration of the human beings in my district, you know, and strategies to help them understand that they are not the images that they see on TV. That when a Nobel scientist says that he has to wonder whether people of African descent have the same intellectual capabilities as whites, that that's programming. That's part of the programming that has gone on. That, that, that the women in our community have to understand that yeah, they do double, carry a double, uh, a double burden in terms of not only being black but being female and therefore having black men <laughs> follow white men in the whole thought that you're a woman, right? You don't deserve equal pay because you're a woman. Workers in this country have the lowest, have the lowest, um, have the least protection in terms of worker rights in the Western world. And so I, I raise that to say that it's not enough just to have programs or not enough just to provide opportunities. 
that if we really are concerned about the regeneration of the human beings of our country, if we're really concerned about helping them realize that they are not the stereotypes that are projected by media and others, that they are human beings who have within them a capacity for creative change that is unlimited, that is unlimited. If we are going to, to convince them of that, then we have to really begin to engage with them, begin to engage with them around who they are and who we are. And so the pledge looks at a number of elements that we think we need to talk about as we help people think about who they are. The first one talks about do no harm. Do no harm. For a people who have been subjected to violence over the time we've been here, obviously, obviously the whole question of nonviolence and do no harm is not just a tactic tactical political strategy, but it's a healing remedy. It's a healing remedy because if you're going to heal from the effects of violence that has been passed on and perpetrated and continues to be perpetrated in a variety of ways, then you have to begin to raise with yourself of how do I pull out of that? How do I... How do I um, move out in the world so I'm not just reflecting the violence that has been done to us, but I'm a repository of positive energy now walking a different path without any knowledge, particularly in a country, in a country which tells my children that war is an acceptable option, that, war, that prevented the preemptive strikes is appropriate. And then the mayor will come on TV and say, oh, you shouldn't, you know, yes, somebody has, yes, young people, there have been killings, but you shouldn't take revenge. That's not the way. Eh, but he's not speaking out against the war, right? If our, our children shouldn't be taking revenge, then the United States shouldn't be taking revenge. What kind of logic is that? So we have to begin to, we have, you know, we, we have to begin to really look, you know, as people, particularly in communities of color, all people do, but particularly African-American people, have to look at the whole question of violence. Secondly, we, we have to look at the question of who we are and, and focus on our development, our mental, physical, spiritual, emotional self-development. We, we know so little about who we are as human beings. You know, over the, they say over the temple, the, the Delphi, of the Delphi uh, oracle was the, the expression, know thyself. Know thyself. The American, in, the American educational institution is structured in a way to make it difficult for people to really understand who we are as human beings. Why? If you're trying to control people and have them operate within your system, then why would you want those you're trying to control to see themselves as beings with unlimited potential? 
doesn't make sense. Because if you believe you have unlimited potential, you aren't willing to accept the boxes that people put you into. So I think if we're, as we begin to organize and begin to challenge us to ourselves to move forward, we have to challenge ourselves on a very intimate basis to, to understand who we are. And when we as adults begin to really appreciate ourselves, then we, our children can begin to appreciate themselves because if they see us as adults having very low, limited expectations of ourselves and them, then what do we expect from them? They're our children. Third one is building an economy. We have an economy that is interlaced with profits from the drug trade. I have no moral problem with that. If the Kennedys, (laughs) if Papa Kennedy could create a financial base through uh, rum running and through participation in the profits of, uh, that came from being a, a rum smuggler during Prohibition, then it's, it's hard. You know, I think you know, we shouldn't be too quick to, uh, to judge. You know, you know what I mean? That, that is that um, from a moral standpoint, um, the reality is that there are many white families out here who uh, have moved on to stature, as the Kennedys have, on a, on a basis of wealth that everybody knows is illegal. Uh, but what we do have to be concerned about in my community is that given the effect of um, uh, drug trading in a community that's handled by young people, the issues of violence and destruction and the fact that the police have an opportunity to come in to the community and take off when they want to large numbers of young people who are in jail for years and when they come out are told, no, you can't get a job because you have a criminal record. So the whole question of building an economy that is um, economy that is based on finding strategies for self and family and others that can enable us to build an economy that works for all uh, has to be key. And then the fourth element is to uh, understand the responsibility to work for, with, with others to force our government and institutions to behave in appropriate ways. They aren't behaving appropriately now, but I believe in the society which we are on the verge of creating that they can be partners in the process, but only if we as people are developing ourselves and um, working together to make sure these institutions are reflecting values that focus on human beings. Let me, let me end. Let me, let me just end by, um, by saying that I, I would, I'd urge you to, Rudolf Steiner, I think, is talked uh, about a lot by uh, people in the Schumacher, Schumacher Society. Um, I would urge you to write, uh, to read um, his, his book on uh, an outline of uh, esoteric science. Because he, in, that, um, in that book, he presents, I think, a very um, profound argument that we need not just to look at the questions of evolution of form as Darwin did, but we have to look at the question of evolution of consciousness. 
And he argues that our experience here on earth are designed to help us as cosmic beings, as, as beings who are part of the cosmos, um, that our experience here on earth is to help us develop our consciousness. And that because that's the purpose of life on earth, as, as uh, the earth evolves, the consciousness moves from one level to another level. And that that means that old frameworks of thinking die and new arise. You know, and that's what enables the consciousness to evolve. I think we, could, we all know in our hearts that we are watching the decline, the end of the era of consciousness that perhaps developed in 1492 when Isabella and Ferdinand uh, financed Columbus's uh, trip uh, into the, uh, the Western world. And that these last 600 years have, last five to 600 years, have in fact uh, been a period of time where the materialist environment has been uh, explored and uh, uh, worked on, led by the European thought. But it's at the end of the cycle. You know, you can see that the other nations are looking to the United States for leadership and the United States is leading them to hell. Why? Because at the end, the, at the end of every historical cycle, you'll see that the um, consciousness of the leaders of the old paradigm is not at the level that it was before. So the de decisions that you see them make are decisions that aren't logical, that aren't uh, designed to bring new life because they're, they're at the end of a system. They're trying to hold on to something that shouldn't be held on to because it's outlived the purpose that it was there to serve. This one, this paradigm is ending, and it's ending quickly. And as an, Af an African-American, I have to say, thank God. And if you read Steiner and others, you'll see that they talk about this next period. And they, the next period is, is really defined by uh, Anthropocene with uh, Steiner and Theosophy and uh, even the, the uh, Kabbalah and the Jewish religions that, that, all, that, all, um, uh, that all the uh, kind of explorations of spiritual reality are, are, are pointing to a next age where there will be what could be called the spiritualization of consciousness. We've gone through the materialization of consciousness where our consciousness, our awareness has been focused on the material form to the extent that this, that this age relegated human beings to being material forms, the ultimate in the materialization of consciousness. But we're getting ready we're entering an age where our, the opportunity for our consciousness to be spiritualized is, is there. And what I mean by spiritualized, what I mean is that we, we, have, we are on the brink of an age 
where we have the ability to begin to understand the functioning of energy at a higher level than we've ever been able to do before. Einstein helped us understand that material forms are in illusion, are in illusion. That is, while we see everything as material, the reality is that everything, including ourselves, are atoms and other levels of energy and other levels of energy. I think from Steiner's perspective that in this next age, in this new age, we're going to have the responsibility, the challenge, and the opportunity to begin to explore higher stages of energy and begin to understand that we are more than the machines. We are more than the machines. We have within ourselves a connection to energy sources that enable us to change the world, change the world in ways that we can't conceive, that we do not have to be dependent on the corporations for our sustenance and our survival, that we have to be dependent on ourselves. I don't think the environmental movement believes that the corporations are going to save the earth. The environmental movement believes that we are going to save the earth through our consciousness. I think we have to have the same view in terms of ourselves. And that is that to think that we have to be dependent on the corporations to be the basis of our economic sustenance in our life, particularly for people of African-American descent, is insane because those corporations have never been about that. And they still aren't about that. They aren't even about that for white people. So what we have to do as we move forward, a lot of work to do. But what is most essential, I believe, is that we begin to deepen our understanding of the nature of reality, deepen our understanding of the nature of the human being, because we all we all have the seeds of confusion and misunderstandings within our thought framework because we have grown up and evolved in a society that wanted to keep women in their place, that wanted to make sure that people of color didn't dare to stand up and see themselves as human beings, that workers would grow to have the belief that if it wasn't for the corporate bosses, they would be nothing. That's what the old paradigm has depended upon. So as, as we who appreciate the importance of our being stewards of the earth, we have to also begin to uh, develop an appreciation of our responsibility to create a global society, a sane global society, where we all are stewards of the development of economic structures that are designed to be for the benefit of all, based on our understanding, our understanding from a 
spiritual science perspective that King's, King's statements about an injustice to one is an injustice to all is not rhetoric. It's, re- it's not rhetoric. It's about raising the question of how do we bring healing energy to the body politic that has been focused on the thought that is what is most important is the benefit of me and mine and hasn't had the ability or the will to recognize that um, we are all linked together with the earth. We can't save the earth if we don't save human beings. Thank you. And in any case, it's certainly worth a hell of a try because it's all positive development anyway. To hear more talks like this one and discover more than 30 years of Schumacher lectures, visit centerforneweconomics.org. The Schumacher Center for New Economics Research Library houses the collections of E.F. Schumacher, Robert Swan, and other influential thinkers in the new economy movement. You can strengthen our mission by purchasing a copy of your favorite Schumacher lectures at centerfornewaconomics.org slash order dash pamphlets. Our work is supported by listeners like you. You can donate to our cause at centerfornewaconomics.org slash donate. This library and the Schumacher lectures capture powerful voices for economic reform. Voices with the strength to move and inspire. They frame and inform action, but are not themselves the action. At a time when our earth is in crisis and our communities face complex challenges, we are all charged with creating solutions. The Schumacher Center's applied work seeks to implement the principles described by these speakers within the context of the Berkshire Hills of Massachusetts. This work includes crafting innovative leases that share equity and improvements while holding land in community trust. Building Berkshires, a local currency designed to democratize monetary issue and keep money circulating in the region. And engaging citizens in supporting the development of regionally appropriate businesses, creating local jobs while retaining local ownership and control. You can support our work in a new economy by making a donation at centerfornewaconomics.org slash donate. Or call us at 413-528-1737 to make an appointment to visit our research library and office at 140 Jug End Road, Great Barrington, Massachusetts.